Amen. What a classic hymn. I love that song. The truth of it is amazing, isn't it? Well, so good to see you. Thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, we're going to do something a little different this evening. And we'll give you some more information that goes along. But as you know, we have a family meeting that follows this service. And so just like we would normally do, the conclusion of this service will dismiss you to leave out the the various doors here in the sanctuary, and we'll have you come back in as members to sign back in. It is a family members meeting, and if you feel like you want to be part of that and you're not a member, well, there's your call. Come join us and be a member of the church. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, at a family meeting, in fact, I called for a season of prayer for our church. How many were here when, when I did it? Y'all remember that? Okay, good. A lot of you. How's that going? How's the prayer going? Good. I like to hear that. I think sometimes, though, we hear a call from prayer and we start out really well with that. But then after a little while, perhaps we struggle with knowing what and how to pray. I think it's only natural. In, in uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Master, Lord, teach us to pray. In fact, what they were saying was teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. And I really love that question because it gives me comfort. Sometimes we struggle with knowing how to pray. Do you ever feel like you're in a room and everyone seems to know all the answers and you're the one person that doesn't know and you're like, oh yeah, I understand, and you really have no clue? <laughs> Well, I think this passage should comfort us to say it's okay for us to turn to the Lord, turn to his word and say, tell me what to pray, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds with that. It gives me comfort, though, to know that Jesus didn't turn them away with that question. Oh, you should know. He never said that. I also like that question because it shows a willingness from his disciples to pray. Are you willing to pray? You know, one of the things I, I believe that hinders us in our prayers is distraction. Not only not knowing perhaps what to pray, but then allowing other things compete for the priority of prayer in our life. In fact, Martin Luther, as you know, back in the 1500s, sparked the Protestant Revolution. And he was known to pray three hours every single day in the morning. And his rationale for that was, I'm too busy not to do that. And so one of his best friends, who happened to be his barber, asked him, Martin, how do I pray? And the first thing that he did was, was give him this warning about distraction. He said, guard yourself carefully against those false, deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while. I will pray in an hour from now. First, I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer into other affairs, which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that day. Can you resonate with what Martin Luther was saying? So many things compete for the place of prayer in our lives, and that should be primary for I mean, it's so important to get that into our minds. We live in a very distracted age with notifications and alarms and, and emails and texts and everything that serve to distract us. 
But once he got across the message to his barber, which, and if you ever saw a picture of Martin Luther, he probably needed a new barber. But once he got past that part, he took him exactly to where our Lord answered the question to his disciples. And so for the remainder of the time, we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer this evening. We're going to do this a little differently. Um, We're going to recite it together as a whole, corporately. I know we don't normally do that, but I think there's some real value in that. We're going to recite it corporately, and then we're going to walk through verse by verse. So we're going to read verse, I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to pray in accordance with that verse. And then I'll conclude our prayer, and then we'll go to the next verse. I'll make a few comments, and then we'll pray. Sound good? Well, we're going to recite corporately today the Lord's Prayer. No, a note. Uh, You're going to see that it's in the King James. Not because I think it's a superior translation or anything like that, but I suspect, especially if you're my age or older, (laughs) that you may have memorized it or perhaps are more familiar with with the King James. And I think there's a certain beauty to the way it is laid out. So are you ready? All right. Well, let us pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mm. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer. How many of you said trespasses instead of debts? All right, there's some of you that said that it's okay. You didn't do violence to the scriptures. There's some traditional reasons why there are, you know, where it'll say trespasses and debts. It's okay. We're all good. I just wondered how many would be out there. A little note toward the end, there's that little doxology that says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You'll see in the New American Standard, there's little brackets there. Some translations don't include that because we think that could have been added later. But it's okay to repeat it, I think, because we see something almost identical at the end of a prayer in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and also 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 6. But it's hard to pray a prayer that way without shouting a burst of praise, some kind of doxology to the Lord. Well, let's look at the Lord's Prayer this evening. I have, and I hope you have some notes with you. I have them in the back if you don't. The simplicity and heart-shaping effect of the Lord's Prayer. What, What do I mean by that? heart-shaping effect of the Lord's Prayer. This prayer, in fact, all prayer, is designed, and I'm going to say this very carefully, not for us to get what we want. Prayer in general, and in particular, this prayer. Now, I don't believe that, that Jesus meant this to be formulaic or that we have to pray like this every single time. I think what he's doing here is ordering our thoughts so that we begin to long for the things that God loves. And we're going to see that today. The simplicity and heart-shaping effect of the Lord's Prayer. So how does it shape our hearts? Well, I believe in this passage, it calls us to walk out of the valley of self. Out of the valley of self. Let's look at verse 9. Let's get verse 9. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does this begin with? It begins with God, doesn't it? 
Jesus is reorienting our minds to say that when we go to prayer, we must remember to whom we are praying. I fear oftentimes the first thing that we run to when we pray is a cursory, dear God in heaven, here's what I want. And we end up giving God a laundry list, basically, of our wants and desires. And they could be real crushing needs, and we truly need those. But we must remember to whom we are praying. He says, our Father. He's not just some abstract deity in the sky that is not personal with us, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. We can call God our Father. I was having a conversation with one of my sons this week. He was talking about Islam. And he's, he's going through a study in, in his college courses. And Islam was the next in the list. And, and he said, it just seems like Allah isn't very personal in the way that he's presented. And I said, he's not. Calling Allah Father is a blasphemy. You just don't do it. But here God longs for us to call him father. In fact, he does so and not only wants that, he adopts us into his family. He's our father and he's hallowed. His name is holy. Isaiah 6, he is described as holy, holy, holy. He is the thrice holy God. This is the one to whom we are speaking. And Jesus reminds us, yes, he's your father, and your father is holy. Acknowledge that in your prayers. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I want you, and you, you can pray with someone next to you if you wish. You certainly don't have to do that. We don't have a lot of time this evening to do these things. But here's what you can pray for. I want you in your seats. I'm going I'm to be quiet here in just a moment. I'm going to let you start praying. I want you to praise and glorify the name of God. And then I want you to pray that Riverbend will glorify the name of God in everything that we do. Sound like a plan? All right, let's begin praying by praising the name of our God. Father, it is our great desire that your name would be feared, that your name would be revered for who you are. You're our God. You're our creator. You are the Holy One who in unthinkable mercy gave your only begotten Son to spare us from the wrath upon our sin. You are holy, in Jesus' name, amen. It's one of the ways that the Lord's Prayer shapes our hearts. It calls us out of the valley of self. It places our attention where it belongs on God and God alone. The next thing that it does to shape us is that the prayer devotes, uh, calls us to devote ourselves fully to kingdom work and the will of God. 
We didn't quite get to the part of the prayer where we're supposed to be asking for what we want yet. He says, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, I was looking through this, I was reminded of Acts chapter 4, uh, particularly verses 29 through 30. Uh, Peter and, and John, they were arrested, they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they were called to answer for preaching Christ, and they gave them a really, really hard time. First time they had really been arrested in that kind of persecution since Pentecost. It was right after Peter's second sermon. And they finally release them. And they go back to the, the disciples who are huddled together waiting to hear the report of what happened to these two apostles. And they start to pray. And it's amazing. Um, I'm going to start. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to look there for you. Um, Acts 4. We're going to start with verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea that is all in them. And you, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. I don't know. If I were in Peter and John's position, perhaps... After being rough handled by people and accused of things I didn't do, one of, the, one of the things that I might be tempted to do is to come back with my friends and start complaining and maybe praying, God, get them for what they've done to us. You can't let them continue this. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. You sent your son. No, they start out by saying, Lord. They glorify him. They recognize who he is as the creator of all things. And then they get down finally to verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't even pray that the persecution would stop. What they prayed was, let the name of Christ be magnified everywhere we go. They were praying in accordance with our Lord, who said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we devoted fully to kingdom work? It's about preaching the gospel. And really, it's close cousin of reconciliation, isn't it? Preaching the gospel brings peace and reconciliation between God and man, doesn't it? Well, then that reconciling work continues through his people to other people as well. So let's pray. And here's what I'd like for you to pray. Pray now for opportunities and boldness to proclaim the gospel. Perhaps the Lord has already laid on your heart an opportunity. Maybe it's a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor or something to that effect. Pray for boldness in preaching the gospel. And then pray how you and Riverbend can be reconcilers in this world. Let's pray.
Lord God, we know that Christ has been given all authority in heaven and earth, and with authority comes power and dominion over all things. Yet, Lord, we still experience much brokenness on this earth. Lord, bring your kingdom in a greater way. I pray that the gospel would be proclaimed boldly. That's what the apostles prayed here in Acts 4, that they, as they preached, they would have the boldness and that they, you would convert sinners and reconcile men to you and to one another. Give us the greater measure of that today. I pray that that authority and power and boldness would begin in our own hearts here. It would pour forth in our homes, in this church, in this city, our state, this country, and to the ends of the earth. May your name be great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. So as this prayer is shaping us, we see that it's causing us to walk out of self. It's causing us to devote ourselves to kingdom work. Well, another thing that it does for us is that it causes us to long for the bread that satisfies. Let's look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Seems pretty simple and straightforward, doesn't it? We have physical bodies. We have physical needs. We need to eat. And we pray for our needs. And that's the very basics. And he, Jesus is telling us, come before God and call forth what we need. And it's a good thing that we know. Jesus also tells us that our Father knows what we need even before we've become aware that we have a need. That gives us great comfort that what we're praying to the Lord, he already knows. And he just wants us to call it to him. But... We also have spiritual needs, don't we? Jesus in John 6, 35 says, I am the what? The bread of life. You know, in that, in the context of that, he was reminding Israel, when he was preaching to the Jewish people there on the Sermon on the Mount, and he was reminding them of, of Israel wandering through the wilderness. We've been going through that with Pastor Scott's uh, series here on Wednesdays. And one of the ways that God graciously provided for them their sustenance and their life was manna coming from heaven. It was this bread-like flake, and they would eat it and have life. And Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. We need the life of Christ in us. Isn't that what we do when we baptize people? Buried with Christ. Raised to walk in newness of life. It's not our newness of life. It's his life in us. We feed upon Christ. So here's what I want you to do when we pray. I want you, of course, to pray for your physical needs. But I want you to pray for your spiritual needs. How can you Draw upon Christ and his power and his life. How maybe the Lord is calling you to read your word more. Maybe the Lord is calling you to participate here in worship service more. But also pray that Riverbend will continue to offer Christ to a dying world. And to a growing people of God as well. Let's pray.
Lord God, I'm so grateful that you know our physical needs and you know it so well, you care about them. You gave that illustration about how you care for the lilies of the valley and the birds of the field and yet we're more important to you than they and you take care of them so well. Forgive us for when we doubt you, Lord, but we do pray that you would provide for us and what we would need that we wouldn't struggle uh, with worry because we can throw ourselves upon a merciful God who cares about us and knows what we need even before we've become aware of that. I pray also, Lord, that we would not neglect our spiritual life, our growth in Jesus Christ, that we would cling to him, that we would gaze into his face and allow him to transform us to become more and more like him, Father. I pray that you would allow us as a church to continue to offer Christ to a dying world, Lord, in new uh, in different ways. I pray that you would allow us to be effective in those ways, that you would be a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God, that we would see Christians grow deeper in their faith, Lord. For your namesake, we pray. Amen. So we, we get rid of self. We devote ourselves to kingdom work. We long for the bread that satisfies. And now this prayer calls us to walk in the path of peace, peace with God and his people. Let's look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts, or trespasses if you prefer, as we forgive our debtors. Oh, we need forgiveness, don't we? We know we have forgiveness through Christ Jesus, through the gospel. We're grateful for his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. If Christ had not done that for us, if the Spirit hadn't opened up our hearts to the truth of that matter, we would have been dead in our sins still, as Ephesians tells us. But we've been made alive in him. Now we stand justified in his sight and growing. But we still struggle with the flesh, don't we? We struggle with temptation, don't we? We need to confess honestly and earnestly about our sins. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David understood that very well in the Old Testament. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We need to pray that God would forgive us, but then Jesus makes it a little more difficult sometimes, doesn't he? As we forgive our debtors. It's hard to forgive others, don't they? isn't it? What's our tendency when we're kicked? We tend to kick back. When we're harmed or wronged, we, our tendency in our flesh is to wrong back. Instead, Jesus provides a different way. He says that we are to be instruments of peace. That's what forgiveness is all about. People that owe us a debt, we can just let it go or go to them and tell them, I forgive you for what you've done. And we tell God that we've forgiven them too. Now, a lot easier than it sounds, than it sounds right? <laughs> no, it's much more difficult than it sounds. So we go to the Lord with a prayer like this and we say, God, please help me to forgive them as readily and as wonderfully as you have forgiven me sense how can we say that we have experienced the forgiveness of God if we refuse to forgive our neighbor 
That's why the two go hand in hand in this passage. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's that assumption that we are doing both. So let's pray for that. Let's confess our sin before you. Maybe the Lord has already shown you some things that you struggle with. Confess that before him. Ask ask him to forgive you of it. Ask him to show you who you need to forgive perhaps. And to give you the strength to do it. And that we corporately, even as a church, would be instruments of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I love how John the Beloved says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us our sins. We know we have a right standing before you, but Lord, sometimes we struggle and you know it well, which is why you've given us that provision for forgiveness. So we confess these before you. I pray, Lord, that we would keep short accounts with people, perhaps there was someone that came, you, you brought to our minds as we prayed and it seemed difficult. Give us the strength to be an instrument of peace and to forgive our debtors as quickly and as wonderfully as you forgive us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe someone did come to your mind and you thought of how impossible that could possibly be to forgive them. Oh, you can. Throw it upon the Lord. Beg for his mercy and his help. Throw yourself upon Christ. This isn't something we do on our own. It's something that he gives you the strength to do. Amen. So we're walking out of the valley itself. We're devoting ourselves to kingdom work. We're longing for the bread that satisfies. We're walking the path of peace. We're, now the third one, the, the last, next to the last one really, is guarding our hearts and keeping a vigilant watch around us. Guarding our hearts and keeping a vigilant watch around us. 13, first part of 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anybody struggle with temptation? Don't raise your hand, but I'm sure you do. Now, God certainly tempts no one. I don't want you to get that idea from reading this passage. But we pray this way that God would guard us and keep us so that the devil, the world, our flesh may not deceive us or lead us to sin. And one of those things that we must do, I mean, we know the verses. We know that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that, but oftentimes we forget that. Or we're not keeping watch. Peter tells uh, tells us that so we can look out for the prowling lion. So we can take care of ourselves. Perhaps the temptation. I I think we all can say that you know what particular temptation besets you the most. What tempts me the most may not be what tempts you the most. And vice versa. You have to keep guard on your heart. Sometimes we go to work or we go about our day. We need to think about it. Is that temptation going to come my way? I have to be vigilant and look for it. I have to guard my heart 
so that I won't fall into it and succumb to temptation. So that I, I will be aware and seeking the, the devil it's like a roaring lion so he doesn't pounce on me from behind. That's what lions do. They look for someone who's weak, someone who's not paying attention, and they come up behind you to strike from behind and scare you. Always keeping a lookout. Now, I don't want us to be in a hyper state of paranoia, but we need to guard our hearts, pray this out, Lord, help me, because I know temptation is coming my way. Keep me from that, and when it does come, show me the way out. There is no temptation that God does not provide a way out. Do we look for that way out? Or do we just fall right into it and say, oh, I didn't know any other way. I can't stop. Yes, you can. Keep vigilant. Guard your heart. So pray right now that you would be alert to temptation and to be kept from evil. Pray that you would be alert to temptation and be kept from evil. And pray for Riverbend to be kept safe from sinfulness, from false teachers, from attacks from Satan. Pray that for our church. Pray for it corporately. Remember that Acts 4 prayer. They all prayed it in unison corporately together. So it wasn't just about me or it wasn't just about an individual. It was about all of us. It's about all of them. So let's pray that now. Lord God, there's so many temptations around us and sometimes we can even be blind by the things that tempt us the most. I pray that you would reveal that in our hearts and minds so that we would be sober, that we would be vigilant, that we would be looking around, guarding our hearts, keeping ourselves from the temptations that so easily beset us, that we wouldn't be taken by surprise from the, from the wiles of the devil or the scheming of the world or even just our own flesh. Help us to put a guard on our hearts and stay from temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. And then finally, we give praise to God with a strong amen. That's the doxology part. Like I said, there are a couple of passages here. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, that are almost identical to this doxology. And if you pray a prayer like this, you will not be able to help but close it out with a shout of praise to God. But what does amen mean? So be it. It's a declaration of belief and trust. It's not just a way that we end a prayer. It's a declaration. Martin Luther said, you must always speak the amen firmly. Never doubt that God in his mercy will surely, surely hear you. Do not leave your prayer without thinking very well. God has heard my prayer. This I know as a certainty and a truth. That's what amen means. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. And all God's people shouted, amen. amen. Thank you so much. I hope this was a help to you because it's a simple prayer. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a, a route kind of thing. It's not a, a formulaic deal, but it's a way that we can shape our hearts, shape our minds, a simple way to pray. Take these, keep them with you. On the back, you'll see simple ways that you can pray for Riverbend as well. 
Remember, the season of prayer isn't over. In fact, if we're honest, prayer doesn't end with a season. It continues on. So pray for yourselves. Pray for Riverbend. Amen?